0: Hi everyone, welcome to the latest edition of Pro Wrestling Defined. I'm your host Jonathan O'Dwyer and please remember to subscribe and hit the notification bell to keep up with all future content, interviews with legends of the business like the guest we have today, former legendary, uh, former WWE Spanish commentator, the one and only Hugh Gosevinovic. How are you doing today, my man?
1: Doing fine, happy to be with you and uh, just uh, excited about... uh what uh, we are doing uh, with the people that I'm working. And I'm very passionate about the business. And I have been very sad with the creative status of the industry. And now I think that things are picking up.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, uh, tell everybody uh, what you're up to uh, these days, Uh, like you're working with uh, uh, Lucha Libre online and uh, AAA. Tell everybody what, uh, what, what you're doing nowadays.
1: Yes, uh, I'm partners with Lucha Libre Online, uh, Javier Gonzalez, myself and our crew, we have managed to make, to make Lucha Libre Online uh, one of the top four wrestling pages in the world, the only Spanish one in the group. And, uh, you know, it's just a delight. Uh, some of my interviews with Andrade and Alberto have reached over 1 million views and I do lives, my whole crew, it's dedicated. We are credited not just by wrestling uh, associations or groups like WWE, AEW, Ring of Honor, New Japan, of course, my company, Triple A, but also UFC, Bellator, all the top professional boxing uh, associations and federations, and even Billboard. We're credited by Billboard. So we do do more than just uh, Lucha Libre. We keep it open. So our fans could have uh, all kinds of new news from all around the world. And on the wrestling part, I am on contract with uh, uh, Space, uh, which is my main contractor with Triple A. And I do uh, play by play with Jose Manuel Guillén on their broadcast. And also I'm on the creative side. Conan is the boss. And then it's uh, me and uh, other two uh, more team players. And uh, it's just exciting to be able to do what we're doing with the product of AAA. We are creating a new Lucha style, a hybrid, more storylines, um, more submission holds, uh, punches are getting there. Uh, We are uh, creating nice, nice, nice characters and uh, things are happening the right way. And uh, all of that and also starting uh, international GWE Wrestling from Panama. We should be in Pluto, uh, Latino and uh, Global, Pluto TV, Latino and Global soon. I've done the Spanish and English, and that's my own comp- company and partnership from the Republic of Panama. And uh, just uh, doing a lot of stuff, uh, helping Alberto El Patron with his shows uh, coming up in Fort McAllen, Texas, and also Arena Monterrey, in Mexico. So I've been very busy because I'm a pastor, evangelist. So I'm on the go. Just came back from Puerto Rico. Did a one-on-one interview with a very famous uh, TV personality that interviews NBA players and uh, politicians. So I did that when I was being interviewed. Preached twice on Sunday. Uh, my main goal is also to help uh, young people get out of drugs, gangs, and all the other things that uh, almost destroyed my life. And uh, I do that as a, I emphasize that with my professional uh, career. And uh, Carissa Rivera was one of my champions uh, from Wrestling Superstar. We got her signed with Vince, WWE, NXT. And now I am I am projecting Diosa Quetzal. And uh, she's the, the lady wrestler that I'm uh, projecting. I'm representing her. I want to make her... Uh, worldwide uh, uh, luchadora, and we're just working hard on her image training. We're making her from a, a seven-year uh, experienced wrestler, we're making her a boladora, which is a flyer wrestler. And she just started what John Morrison does, you know, that Brazilian art of, uh, I think it's called uh, parkour, parkour, and just, just developing all around uh, techniques on her, more submission holds. So that's my, uh, my latest project, Diosa Quetzal. And uh, she, uh, please tell your viewers to check her out, support her at her YouTube channel. She is something to watch, beautiful, beautiful girl. That's number one, uh, uh, actress, pianist, uh, just an all around athlete, she's a trainer. Uh, and we, my trainer is also her trainer, Maya Cano from Champions, uh, Champions uh, Store. So we have a lot of things happening and here we are, uh, talking to your, your
0: viewers. Awesome man! Yeah, you're here. You're, you're really uh, you're really keeping active. It's uh, absolutely awesome to see. Um, talk about uh, how you actually got into in uh, in the wrestling business. Uh, what, what were you uh, a big fan growing up? Uh, how, how did you end up breaking in?
1: Uh, I was five years old. I'm from Ecuador, a, a coast city called Guayaquil in the Republic of Ecuador. And uh, I remember my mother, Doña Melida Irony. Uh, it was a rainy afternoon, and I watched for the first time lucha, wrestling on TV, and it was uh, El Santo, the, the guy with a silver mask, the legend of the movies. But this time he was not in a movie. He was working against uh, a wrestler from my country, Ecuador, Mon Heloco, Long Beard, and I was fascinated yeah. by the way he did the topes, the flying topes. And the guy was flying, the beer was almost reaching the TV lights. And then he dove from the, the, the turnbuckle into his chest, turned him over and then put the, like the camel clutch, but in Spanish, it's well uh, uh, preserved as a, it's called a submission hold, a caballo, like riding a horse. And the, the the heel guy, the bad guy surrendering, the people just jumping out of joy and, seeing that mask impacted me and the flying moves. And I told my mother I wanted to be a wrestler. So from five years old, I had that dream. And in the tough streets of New York in the Bronx, where I had to work uh, every day to just keep myself alive, I had the, the the thickness of the whatever was remaining of a Coca-Cola bottle as my weapon to take me from 138th Street and Brook Avenue to 156th and St. Anne's, close to where they where the accidents occurred of that movie, Fort Apache, where they burned down that police precinct in that movie. Well, just three blocks from there, I was doing my own uh, Lucia Libre training in an abandoned building, and it was a sporting club, uh, boxing and wrestling, and they beat me up every day. I had to pay $25 a week to, to get there and get beat up and just the raw meat, steak meat on my eyes to get the soul down and nose bleeding, every b- part of my body aching. And at 14 years old, under a mask, I debuted as the assassin panther. And that was a, uh, a career that was mixed with uh, gang activity, with crime. And it was the battle between that life and the lucha life. And I'm thankful that uh, wrestling won and uh, I, I fought. To stay out of trouble. And I debuted at 14 years old. And that same mask guy, El Santo, that it, it just inspired me to become a wrestler, before he retired, I was 17 in a little town in Puerto Rico called Cabo Rojo. The promoter told me that I was going to work that night with my idol, El Santo. And my hands were sweating, my knees were trembling. And there was Santo, the mask legend of Mexico. And there was Babyface Sabinovich. That was one of my names there, Babyface Sabinovich. That was the actual name. Babyface Sabinovich and Chief Cherokee were like the top tag top, top team at that, uh, at that time in, in the Caribbean. And I was there with El Santo. And uh, like I said, I was trembling. And I had to be very careful because he could barely see. So if he'd stayed in his way, he could do the flying tackle and give it to you because he couldn't see that much in the ring. But it was such a moment to see myself from five years old to working in the ring with the Santo, and then that was the moment uh, that it all became real. And next thing I know, it was a 20-year uh, career that included uh, matches in Japan, twice a world light heavyweight champion on the NWA with uh, the legend Jack Beneno uh, in the, Repo- the Republic of uh, uh, Dominican Republic, and then just top battles with Carlito Caribbean Cool's father, Carlos Colon, and the legends I managed. Abdullah the Butcher, I will say in Spanish, mi monstruo, mi máquina Abdullah, and we will be just the bad guys selling out the whole Caribbean. Uh, and it was a, it was a beautiful career with a lot of risk at the time. It was more of of a battle than the spectacle that you know wrestling. And people were trying to kill you all over the place. And some of the wrestlers where you went didn't want you to look too good, so so there were actually shoot fights in a lot of countries that i went in order to be respected you had to fight your way in the ring so it was it was it was something else
0: awesome so uh talk about how you ended up making the transition to uh to commentary uh you, you started commentary in uh, 1994 for wf at the time
1: yeah it, it started about uh, how that trend yeah, it started way before in Puerto Rico. I was like the top heel. And Carlos Colon, Carlitos uh, Caribbean Cool's father, said to me, it's come time for you to uh, become a commentary and be our, our TV person. And uh, they ended up the relationship with our producer and, and the TV host of the wrestling shows. But i got to take you just a few years back that Mexican promoter that booked me against uh, Santo, the mask man, my idol, also told me back then when I was not even 17, he said to me, uh, chiquitin, which is like little guy, remember that in life, everything has a solution, but not being a dumbass. That was like the first lesson he taught me. Don't be a dumbass. And uh, second, he said to me, (laughs) second, he said to me, you're gonna be you're gonna be a mic person, a mic, a microphone person, and and you're gonna have your own word, your own catchphrase, and it's gonna be atangana. And deep in my mind, I said, "Oh, this old man, Mexican promoter, is crazy. I'm not even 17, and he's already telling me that I'm not gonna be a wrestler, that I'm gonna be a microphone man, and that I'm gonna have a crazy word, atangana." And years went forward, and then this conversation with. Carlito Caribbean's father, Carlos Colon, he says, uh, this is top secret. We ended up in relationships with the pro- producer, uh, and the host of the wrestling shows. And from this day on, uh, uh Carlos Colon said to me, Hugo, you're going to be our mic guy, our Mike guy. And that was like what the old man said just a few years ago. And it was top secret. It was one of the islands, uh, us Virgin islands called St. Croix. And, uh, I did the interviews and everything was like really kayfabe. There was, nobody knew about it. And the boys were like, Ugo doing interviews? What the heck? So I started doing the openings and closings for the show. And then at nighttime, boom, I sit on the table to do the play-by-play. And now the fans are like, how the heck did this happen? He went from the wrestler, the manager of the heels, and now uh, this is him sitting on that Play by play table. So it was Invader against Hankman Bobby Jaggers. And I did the call, in one part of the call, uh, I said, número Bobby Jaggers. mira la catapulta. La cuenta árbitro, uno, dos. And then I said, Ah, Tangara. And that was it. It was like that word, that seed was inside me. And it just gave birth to this dream of, uh, of me falling in love with the play by play, with the production, with the creative. Part And from there, I went into Vince McMahon. And uh, for years, he wanted me to work for him. But at the time, I was married to his champion. Wendy Richter was my wife for almost 10 years. And she was the one that started the whole, the, the whole thing of uh, Rock and Wrestling Connection with Hulkamania and Cindy Loper managing her. And I said to Vince Jr., I said, listen, with your father, we did deals with companies together, running shows in Curaçao. The old, you know, World Wrestling Worldwide Wrestling Federation, and your father, and we did all this. But with you now, you are the boss of my wife, and uh, just a beautiful story. Because the, the day that she was going to marry me in a place called South of the Border, uh, in South Carolina, uh, MTV was for some reason they were late with a, a live show with uh, Hulk Hogan and Wendy and Cindy Lauper. And Vince had to get her into the, her, his limousine and drove to the LaGuardia airport. I, meanwhile, I'm waiting at the place where we're going to get married. And Vince is running with her luggage. This is the top guy in the business, Vince McMahon. That's his champion, one director, And they're running so she could make the flight to marry me. So I, I, like I said, this guy is a top class guy. Don't believe the bad stuff we hear about him being a bad guy. He is... A true gentleman, and like any any successful businessman, wow. some, sometimes you gotta yeah. put you know the law down. But anyway, he 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 called me again. He said he wanted me to work for him, and I said, listen, you got my wife working for you, and then if you get upset with her or with me, you're gonna fire the two of us, and then my my home is not gonna have two check. He said, no, that's not gonna happen. And it was like a prophecy. A uh, uh, couple of years went by, and then uh, people believed that the Montreal screw job was the first one, and it wasn't. It was Mula as a Spider-Woman, with the referee Jack Lotz, Madison Square Garden, and Wendy Richter, the World Championship. Uh, Mula put the mask on of the character Spider-Woman, and between the referee and her, they took the belt from uh, Wendy, and Wendy wanted to kill her, and Mula escaped the Garden. Uh, Wendy was a top athlete, uh, stronger, younger, taller than me, and she had really trained to kick somebody's ass. So that was the first screw job, and that was also the prophecy of them not reaching an agreement. Vince refused to honor what he had proposed to her contractual-wise. They did not get it signed. He did the screw job, first screw job in history of the WWF, WWE, not the Montreal screw job. That was secondary, second, uh, the Brett and Shawn Michaels school job in Montreal. And uh, she didn't get a contract and I w- the two of us would have been fired. Uh, and then he, a couple of years went by, my good friend, Luke Williams from the Bushwack- Bushwackers. He was uh, some of my wrestlers that I managed. And he would do like 15 minutes of him imitating famous characters in wrestling like Vince McMahon and other people. And at that time I'm doing drugs. I own a bar illegal casino, just women left and right. And I'm in I'm in a place of no good right now. And the phone rings and at six o'clock in the morning, just came back from the bar, illegal casino that I own, the drugs, the women. And and I believe that it's Luke Williams doing this character, Vince McMahon. And this goes on like for 15 minutes. And then he doesn't break character. So I said, this is not Luke. And Vince McMahon Jr. says Hugo, this is Vince. So now I realized I thought it was a joke, uh, imitation voice of Luke Williams, the bushwhacker, and it was really Vince talking to me. So he said, Come down, stay a month, and then we'll see how we work together. I want you to come here to work as part of my creative team. It would be Bruce Fisher, Pat Patterson, him, and myself. And we do a month and, uh, I went there, went to his mansion, and he saw I had the long hair, I had the earrings like a Roman centurion earrings with diamonds, and then I had another piece here that was a star with like two muscles and a ruby in the middle and all the chains and the long hair, and Vince shakes my hand. And the first thing I did was I I shook his hand softly, and he says, no, that's not the way you do it. I want a real handshake. And he shook my hand, and I thought he was going to break this little finger right here. And he said, when, when people of honor honor shake hands, it has to be a strong shake hand. That means it's real. That means it's happening. So I said, okay, I always thought that because you were in the wrestling business, you tried to be gentle so people didn't think that you were intimidating them. He says, intimidate them, don't give uh, you know, a hope about it. So anyway, uh, he, says to yeah. me, he says to me, if you work for me, your hair has to be cut. <laughs> it, will be, it will be a tie and a suit. None of those chains, none of those earrings. And I said to him, give me an idea what we're talking first, the first month that I'm here, what's going to be my, my deal with you? And he wrote down an amount for the month. And wow, I, I loved it. And plus, he was not me his uh, uh, driver for the limousine for the first week. I could use this limousine. Wow, that was like a special treat. I said, yes. And then three weeks more, a car rental, hotel just three minutes away wow. from the main headquarters. And I I look at the figure it has Vince, and more or less give me an idea of what you're thinking about uh, if we do like each other as, uh, to work for each other and for me to work for you, uh, like you told me. Give me a uh, around-the-park figure. And, and he said... Uh, Let's work one week together, and then we'll have this conversation. Because I, was, I would be doing uh, creative with Pat Patterson and Bruce Pritchard and one week went by. And uh, he said, oh, I, I told you, you did a fantastic job with Howard Finkel. People don't know that at, at West One back then, uh, and they still do the NFL uh, some of the NFL uh, radio games, uh, Vince had a contract where he did pay-per-views on radio. And I did one in English with Howard Finkel and everything that they sent me to do, gorilla position, uh, work on some angles with the stars, some of the storylines, everything that he gave me, I did. And plus our first week, uh, uh, the chemistry between Patterson, Bruce and Vince was good. Uh, We sat down and then he wrote a number. He said, if we come to an agreement, this is more or less what I'm thinking. And But I, but remember what I said to you, your hair has to go, the earrings have to go, the chains, it has to be a suit and a tie. And when he wrote more or less a bow figure on it, I said, all right. I said, I'll cut my hair and I'll get the, I'll get, I'll get the earrings off and I'll get the chains off. And, you know, like the amount he put down. And then after the month went on, <laughs> after the month, the month went by, uh, we were happy with each other. I, 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 I'd say it today. I loved working with Vince, and uh, those were 17 years. That was my family. Even though we compete, I love them. I love him, and I still pray for, him, for, for his company every day. And I, I, I will tell you again, he's a good man, uh, uh, hard-headed man, but he's hard-headed when he has that hunch, that vision of where he wants to go. And he was very good to me. And when I fell in drugs and alcohol and I went to jail, he was the guy that gave me that second chance with Victor Quinones, who was the uh, WWE, uh, WF Latino president uh, at the time, uh, when nobody else wanted me there. Uh, only, only Vince, Linda, Shane, uh, Stephanie, uh, Carlos Cabrera, my partner, of course. But nobody else wanted me there not Bruce Pritchard, not Pat, not uh, uh, Kevin Dunn. I was too dangerous, and I don't blame him because I was hanging out with, with very dangerous people that were my friends, and they were afraid that because of my relationship, <coughs> by trying to shoot me, they were going to shoot them. And I said to Vince, you know, just give me a second chance, and he did. And with with me ending uh, my 17 years there, it was on a friendly basis. There was no fights, there was no drugs, There was everything was smooth. And he brought me back and I was the co-producer of Univision Network, the biggest network, Latino network in the United States. I came back with my boss, Tom Carducci, to produce as producers of the Latino show or the Spanish show, WWF Super Astros. So went from drug addict, alcoholic, a jail person to a co-producer, of WWF Latino Show on on Univision, and that's my story.
0: You we Were ringside for for so many incredible moments uh, tr- through the years uh, doing the commentary. Um, talk about your favorite matches that you called, and some of your uh, favorite wrestlers uh, t- t- through the through the years.
1: Oh man, it was. I was there during the Attitude Era where people didn't want to miss a pay-per-view. People did not want to miss a Raw or the birth of The Rock Smackdown show. Uh, It was so exciting to do from pay-per-views because it was not boring. Even from the first match, there was something to see. There was something to grab on. There was was always a storyline. And then the pay-per-view ended, and you wanted to be raw next day to see what else what's going to happen. And sometimes the pay-per-view was good, uh, and the raw would be even better. So the fans and uh, play-by-play guys like Carlos Cabrera and me, and the King Jerry Lawler, Jim Ross, we had a fantastic time because uh, the 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 stars meant something. There were just not numbers signed on big contracts. There were people that you wanted to know more. You wanted to see them start feuds and you wanted to be there with the feuds, the battles and calling matches that meant something and see uh, the beginning of the streak of The Undertaker, see the birth of The Rock, be there from the birth of The Rock, see the beginning of the Stone Cold Steve Austin era uh, see the, the guy with the green trunks that debuted in WWF become John Cena and, and, and see the Iron Man matches, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hidman Hart, see tacting matches that meant something, Jack Owen Hart, uh, and just the Bulldogs and all these people that meant something. The Intercontinental Championship was a treasure. It meant something. The championships were not just gimmicks or just objects to sell on your WWE shop. It, it, it was prestige, it meant something. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a world of developing storylines. It was a world of action, where guys and girls were given the opportunity to entertain us worldwide. And the category of the creative, the matches were here and the creative was here. So everything was even. So you wanted to see the development. And then when, when new guys or girls will come in, you'll see vignettes yeah. telling you, coming soon, coming soon. So it was like being in the theater, eating your popcorn and enjoying a great movie. And yet you saw the trailers of what's going to happen in a few weeks. And you were saying, this is great, but I'm looking forward to seeing uh, this wrestler come in or this wrestlers come in. And that's, that's the battles that I saw. I saw the, the mankind, the undertaker, that brutal fall into our table. I saw mankind almost gra- gasping for air. I, I, I got to see where his teeth Yeah, I was gonna ask out. you about that. Yeah, I, I saw his tooth come out through his lip. I saw him land so hard next to me that my heart was like, boom, boom, boom. And I looked at him and his eyes were like, like back here. But today, they would have stopped it right then. But he refused to. And many people know the story. Many people don't know. That collapse of that little cage door on top wasn't supposed to happen like that. And the only thing that saved it was that the Undertaker was not on top of it because it would have been total destruction for the two of them. And with the ribcage injured, the tooth sticking out, the blood, the punishment, they managed to tell a savage story. But yet it was like a Broadway play, a bloody Broadway play that told a story that brought us back into maybe the years of the Roman uh, Coliseum where lions faced the gladiators. It was one of like a life and death contest and The Undertaker and Mankind gave it to us. Mankind said said that he convinced Mark uh, uh, or The Undertaker that he said, listen, from the top of the cell, he says, me and you, I'm never gonna give you what Shawn Michaels could give you. But if you give me this of launching me from here to there, we will be part of the history. And the Undertaker was afraid for Mick Foley's life, but it just made sense when he took a few steps forward and he said, this is what I've done. This is what I wanna do. And he convinced the Undertaker and they convinced Vince that as crazy as it sounded, it's what It was gonna be done and it was done. And I was there with Carlos Cabrera when this guy, Nick Foley, one of his characters of not Cactus Jack, not Dude Love, but Mankind was coming in faster that he admitted he thought he was gonna come down. It was faster and there was no protection for him and he landed so hard on our table that I heard his like a vacuum cleaner, it went like, oh, like when life goes out and he was in so much pain and we were right there to call something that you didn't have to make up, something that was there, that was just life, that was there. And and with that story, the night that Cain was introduced as the, the evil brother of the Undertaker and that moment where uh, Vince gets the brother to destroyed the undertaker, and with a shovel, new shovel, people didn't know that, he, that the undertaker got cut deep here, and the story was he was going to be you know, buried alive and then put all that ground, and we know the secrets of the oxygen and all that stuff and everything. I don't want to go over that, but uh, there was so much blood that the doctor wanted to stop it, and the undertaker said no, and because he dresses black, you could not see just the blood just gushing out. And he went ahead and did it. And he bled so much that it was so dangerous for his life. So I was there to narrate that, the iron matches, the, the, the birth of Stone Cold, uh, you name it, we were there. So Attitude Era was part of Cabrera and Sabinovich and the stuff that happened on the pay-per-views. If they didn't destroy our table, people at the arena were not gonna be happy. People at home were not gonna be happy. They wanted to see our table get destroyed a lot of the times we did not know that it was it was gonna happen. Uh, I remember the first time that we were told that Vince was gonna bleed in a match. I can't remember who he was uh, and he was going to take a bump from the cage I think backward into the table and there was a pin that Carlos Cabrera had to take out so it could loosen up the base of the table and when he was reaching for the cage and that bump was coming, the pin was not coming out. And we were sweating bullets. The boss is gonna fall and we cannot take the freaking pin out. (laughs) And Carlos Cabrera, his sweat is there. And I'm thinking if he gets fired, I'm gonna get fired. And, And Vince is about to take the bump. And this table was super, the table was, it's always been real. It's just a matter that it collapses. But back then, It was not collapsed as easy as now. It was a pin that just took all the bases, and then it was just pure adrenaline and the bump of the body. It it was going to hurt you, but that would take the, the table down. And the pin was not coming out. And we were struggling. And Carlos cannot do the play-by-play now because he's concentrated on taking the pin. So I'm doing the play-by-play. And meanwhile, Carlos is trying to take the pin. And this is happening right now. This is coming out. He's coming backwards. And just like a slow motion Hollywood picture, Hollywood movie, the pin comes out just as the bus is flying backwards. And he lands. And the table goes, boom and there's sweat coming out from both of our foreheads. And that was just the adventure of being at the table. A lot of times, they 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 were not told to go into our table. And they will do it just to see us go through hell. The comeback of Shawn Michaels at the Alamodome, uh, over 76,000 fans, that was the one that he came down to that cable. And during the match, it was a winter. I, I was part of the creative team. Uh, at, at, at the, at the match, something happened, it's, it's, it's snowing outside. We have instructions. As soon as the event is over, uh, get my, my bag and go into the limousine. I'm traveling with Vince and the crew to a press conference in Los Angeles. So that was instructions, don't even change. Just take your stuff, go to the limo. We gotta take the charter out. out. So that's one of instructions. I told Carlos, brother, when this is over, uh, I gotta go and he knew. So I said, I'll see you back at the studio on Monday. And I'm calling the match, and out of nowhere, Shawn Michaels comes to the table, and he kind of shoots. He kind of gets my, my, his leg, blocking my leg like he's going to put a figure four leg lock. And I'm saying, what the heck is going on here? You know, why is this happening? I, I wasn't told that he was going to block my legs like to put a figure four leg lock. And then I realized what he was doing. <laughs> he was immobilizing me. Now the, now the commentating check goes back. I'm like this, I cannot move forward, he's got my legs crossed, and it was a a, a cowboy motif. Uh, So it really had the cowboy ties, the cowboy shirt, the jeans, and the boots, and the boots, and Shawn Michaels takes one of my new boots. He takes one of my boots and hits, I think it was Diesel back then that he betrayed uh, Shawn, I'm not sure, but I know that he grabbed my boot, he hits, his opponent three or four times. The animal don't goes crazy. And after the last shot, he shows the boot and he throws it to the crowd. And I say in Spanish in commentary, and it was real. I say, what the heck, Sean? That is my boot. I'm, I'm doing the play by play, but it's real. I'm saying, that is my <laughs> boot. That is my boot, Sean. And they're trying to get the fan to give it back. He disappears. I just have one (laughs) boot, it's winter. Now we do the end of the match and now I'm going straight to the limo. One sock, one cowboy boot. It's winter, it's snowing. I am walking through the snow with one sock. Now it's wet, I am cold. I'm going into the limo. I am completely wet on that sock part. I head to the Shutterfly. And now I have only one cowboy boot. All the creative team is there. Shane is there. Vince is there. And they think it's hilarious. They think it's funny. It's great. And back then, there was no uh, like now. Uh, you know, Vince opened up uh, Jack Daniels' bottle and he said, Great show. And he took the first step, Shane, and the bottle went all around. And I, I, I could tell you it was not just one bottle. And I got the privilege to see crazy things in private planes. I saw Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar wrestle on the floor (laughs) against Vince McMahon and Shane. Whoever tells you that Vince or Shane are bad people, they are lying to you. These are good people. Temperamental, like any genius, like anybody that owns a business with, with so much stress and millions of dollars. But these people were fun to work for. And uh, I, I still call them my family, even though we are no longer together. I would always pray
0: for them. In 1996, when uh, The Ultimate Warrior uh, came back, there was just the, the a documentary about him and their Side of the Ring episode uh, tomorrow night. Do you have any uh, memories of uh, Ultimate Warrior at the time? Did you interact with him at all?
1: I, I don't recall the date, but uh, at the time, if it was the time where... Uh, Tatanka was there and Lex Luger was there and the warrior was coming back that they launched this comic book and, uh, and I had problems with Lex Luger for interviews and I had uh, problems with the ultimate warrior. The ultimate warrior problem was that he would talk to himself. And you didn't know if there was a person in his restroom and uh, he wanted Vince to buy all the comic books, and Vince says, "I'm putting the comic books out. Why would I buy them?" So, I think we 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 lost the opportunity of seeing so much more of the uh, of the Ultimate Warrior because Ultimate Warrior was just consumed by being the Ultimate Warrior. And sometimes there was no reasoning. I don't think that he ever stopped being the Ultimate Warrior. I think he was 24 hours. It wasn't just the name changed into the Ultimate Warrior. I think his whole persona became 24 hours uh, Ultimate Warrior. And it was very hard for somebody created, like for me to talk to him about uh, what I wanted or what Vince wanted in a match on a pay-per-view because you just didn't see on his eyes like a response. You just saw the world of the Ultimate Warrior. So it was, it was, it was an awesome guy, you know, the body, But his world was, I think, was like a private world of the Ultimate Warrior, where not too many people were invited in. And I think it was very hard for Vince to do business with him when he came back because he would not see anything else but that superhero of Ultimate Warrior. And meanwhile, uh, as a creative, uh, it was hard to get him into the position of doing something on the storyline because you never knew, looking at his eyes, if he he got it, if he understood it. And the other thing was at the time, uh, we were having trouble with Lex Luger. God bless him, but at the time he was so hard to, you thought his character was narcissistic, but in real life he was so hard. I had a promo that he had to do. We had only about an hour in the pay-per-view already done the Tatanka part, needed to get his his promo done. And uh, he said, I won't do it. I told him what he needed to say. He said, no, I won't do it. I said, this is what Ben's approved. And I need this because in less than 40 minutes, this will air before, prior to your match with a recap, the B-roll, the vignette. And he said, no, I am not happy with this. I'm not going to do it. I said, listen, I have the crew here. We need to do it. And he said to me, no. Yeah. So I had no, I had no other choice but to go to Vince. And I said to Vince, "Uh." Lex doesn't want to do the promo. And he says, Lex doesn't want to do the promo. And he said, follow me. He took uh, everybody out of that room, And uh, he, he went in two minutes, came back out, and he called me back into his office. And he says, uh, he'll be ready to do the promo. And he said, next time that somebody refuses to do a promo, after I have approved it, uh, you have my permission to fire him or fire her because I will not tolerate this kind of behavior. And it went back in, he did the promo and we did the storyline of Tatanka against Lex Luger. Vince, regardless of the troubles he's going through right now with the creative, the monster of WWE has become so big that even for somebody talented and visionary like Vince McMahon, it is so hard to control because there's so many pieces and he was so much into that XFL thing and so many other projects that his mind, his mind can only do, you know, so much. And I think that uh, also there are certain people that don't know wrestling, that have a lot of power, that don't respect the talent, don't respect the fans that are really making it hard for WWE to recover into the glorious days of, of tremendous storylines.
0: One last thing before I leave you go, like you mentioned earlier on, um, kind of coming out of uh, of drugs and uh, all that uh, lifestyle and turning your life around and kind of your redemption in uh, with your faith. Uh, t- talk about actually uh, your, your faith in Christ and the uh, evangelism work that you do nowadays.
1: Uh, yes, I am fighting, as I'm talking to you, I am fighting uh, depression, anxiety, and sleep. Uh, Prior to me just coming back from Puerto Rico and preaching, I am a pastor. I am an evangelist. I'm an apostle of many churches. But what makes me happy is that I'm also a sponsor of the women in the Republic of Panama, the foreigners that are in jail there, Americans, uh, Canadians, Ecuadorians, Colombians, Mexicans, uh, people from Europe that have been caught there, And I preached there, and I saw the misery they were in, and I became the sponsor with another couple of pastors and whatever they need from toilet paper, toothpaste, their their monthly, you know, what the women need for their menstruation, and and all of that, and bringing hot food on special occasions. I do that. I do that for also places in Honduras where we help sustain a clinic for poor people. Uh, for poor kids in a lot of Central American countries, even in Puerto Rico, we find a way to bring money to them. Orphanages from Haiti to the Dominican Republic. We have a youth ministry in Bolivia. I uh, 20% of all the money that comes in to my pocket goes to that. And the book that I have uh, that is sold in Amazon, but only in Spanish, is called Atangana Ring of Temptations. Atangana Ring of Temptations. 100% of the book uh, goes to uh better, you know, women, you know, that have been almost beat to death. Uh, we help support them. Uh, uh, kids that have been put into prostitution. So every, every book that sells, I even pay for the cost of every book. So every money goes to that. 20% of my money also goes to that. And this has been going on for 26 years uh, where I had an encounter with Jesus. I was a drug addict, alcoholic, a gambler, Uh, a no good husband, no good father, no good son. And I was doing $2,500 a week of crack cocaine and all the pills you could imagine. And I had two overdoses in my life. I've been shot, stabbed, left for dead. And in that jail, I was put in. I was gonna do eight years and then I was gonna be deported as I am uh, Ecuadorian. I had a little talk with Jesus and I said, if you're real, come into my life. And I had such a wonderful experience in jail and uh, I started to feel his presence and it's been a relationship. And from there, not knowing anything of the word of God to now having preached to guys like Shawn Michaels, Eddie Guerrero and seeing like a Molly Holly uh, being a preacher and seeing steam being a co-pastor in a church and seeing Shawn Michaels being a preacher and all these people that are now touching other lives and to get to see Eddie Guerrero preaching to The Undertaker just to know now that through his wife, Michelle, Undertaker received Christ and now he's evangelizing. Can you believe it? One of the guys that would not even want me close to him to talk to him about Jesus. Now The Undertaker, the Prince of Darkness, (laughs) Is love in Jesus. So, so this is what God has given me the honor to see. And uh, he changed my life. 26 years. Rex I've been Luger playing. is
0: another name that's uh, come to Christ yes, as
1: yes, well. Yes. Uh, Chavo Guerrero also. A lot of people. But it all started with a few of us crazy enough to believe the Million Dollar Man. Teddy Biasi is a pastor. Uh, and, and the main thing is like yeah. uh, my, my star in AAA Pagano. Last Triple Mania when I got hit with, a, with the guitar. Uh, people say, "Wow, that was a great pay-per-view." To me, that was great. But to see Pagano alive, doing the hardcore match off the truck, on that neck pile driver into the table from the top of that that truck, uh, me getting the, the 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 guitar shot and bleeding—that uh, was part of the show. But the reality was that that young athlete, that Pagano star could have been dead. Any day you would have been reporting, Mexican star found dead, overdosed in a hotel room. We made it change. The destiny changed. Uh, we got to, to love him and changed. And now he's helping in one of the toughest uh, cities in Mexico, Juarez. He opened up a gym where he's helping kids in drugs, in gangs, boxing, wrestling. So that's, that to me is it's what, what works. I am not religious. I'm a pastor, evangelist, apostle, but my way of preaching is the reality. I do wrestling calls when I'm when I'm preaching. Sometimes I, I bring wrestling into countries and through wrestling, I let the wrestlers tell their story. You know, how did God change the story? 20, 30 seconds, boom, they do their match, but they see the reality, where, where these guys and girls were. And I, I keep it real because my God doesn't need any help. He's real, his name is Jesus and through that i am i am i am still finding what i said to you uh, prior to going to mexico for the last show i spent 13 days in a clinic i did not know if i was going to be able to climb into that plane i did not know if i was going to be able to do the show which was live uh, on on facebook and then at one point uh, Donna Perazzo, parazo the Out champion was going to come in and do play by play in our table and and we had the 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 voladores, the, 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 uh, the, the Aztecs, flying. That was the opening of the shot. The, the in, in Indians of the tradition of Mexico flying in this pole, flying like a carousel. And then the table, we were doing the commentary. And my, my, my hands were shaking. My knees were shaking. I had just been out of a clinic for depression, for anxiety and no sleep. And here I'm calling something like, where at the end, a truck is going to come in and we're going to find out that top stars from the other company are coming in uh, Sam Adonis, uh the Blue Diamond, and uh, Puma King attack our stars. And then uh, Blue Diamond grabs the mic and says to the people, I'm going to show you now. Uh, no friend that has a message to tell you. And then we show in the screen, Andrade. And Andrade says, I'm challenging Kenny Omega for the mega championship at Triple Mania. And this is all happening and people don't know that I could have never come out of that clinic. And yet I was doing the call. So every day is an adventure. I have refused to give up. I am not calling it quits. I have announced that I will retire on February 25. And my book is coming out on the 24. And I am battling every day not to surrender and not to give up into this horrible depression and the anxiety and the messages that you get sometimes, you become so low, so low, that sometimes it's like suicide. It's like, like your only option, but I thank God that, I, that through his strength and his love, I'm able to tell people that are watching us right now, don't give up, look for professional help, and as crazy as it might sound, pray. And that's what I do. And this is a, the story of Awesome,
0: man. You're, you're an absolute inspiration. Your story's uh, amazing. And uh, I, can't, I can't wait for your, your book to come out. And uh, yeah, I'm just wishing you all the best in the future. And uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on today. Thanks so much for your time, man. It's been awesome.
1: Thank you very much. I bless you in Jesus name and, and, and hello and wishing your audience the best don't give up keep up the good fight you were not born to be defeated you are a champion at heart and just fight like a champion and you will get there
0: thank you for tuning into pro wrestling defined on youtube please like the video if you enjoyed it and subscribe to the youtube channel to keep up with all future content and please follow pro wrestling defined on twitter instagram and like us on facebook